0: Well, hello there. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you are listening to episode 237 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing how to create more space without adding more space. Most of us have felt at one time or another, including myself, that we need more space, that our home perhaps is too small. Perhaps you've even felt as though you need to either undergo a major addition or renovation onto your existing structure or move altogether. Here in North America, we tend to gravitate towards the bigger is better mentality. And so it's natural to believe, at least on the surface level, that a bigger home, that having more space will solve all of our problems. Now, today's show is split into two parts. In part one, it's just you and I. I am giving you my best thoughts on adding that space without adding more space. And then in part two of today's show, I am bringing you an interview with Melanie Naw. Melanie is a small living expert and a small living coach, and she's on the show to describe how she personally has resisted the urge toward bigger as being better. So we're going to get into part one of today's conversation. That's just me and you after a quick word from today's first sponsor, Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. And here we are, part one. Before we start, I should just say that, of course, it goes without saying, this isn't even one of my four tips for you today, but... We've got to declutter first, right? The more stuff we have, the tighter our living spaces feel. This is especially true, especially prevalent right now. We have just come off a major holiday season. So if you're like me and you just celebrated Christmas and you also therefore are in the midst of experiencing an influx of stuff despite your best intentions, it may literally feel as though the stuff is squeezing you out of your home. This year has taught us, actually this past year and a half, I think we're 22 months in counting into this pandemic, but who's counting? (laughs) These past 22 months have taught us that our living spaces need to be flexible. They need to be able to adapt at a moment's notice, and they can adapt if we're drowning in stuff. So I've said it many a time on this show, and I've got to say it one more time. We got to declutter first. Now, tip one for you today is to use the right amount of furniture in the appropriate sizes. So if you need to create more space, the first thing you need to do is look at your furniture. Furniture is big and bulky and takes up a lot of precious space. Too much furniture, too much decor, too much big bulky stuff can make a room feel overcrowded, unsettled even. So make sure that every piece of furniture in your home is There for a specific reason. Allow for some breathing room in between the heavier pieces. Keep walkways clear. I've said this before on the show, but if you feel in your home as though you're always tripping over an accent chair or a side table or the walkways and the general paths that you generally take on a stroll through your home, if they're crowded with big, bulky, oversized furniture, we've got to look twice at that furniture. I will also suggest here to get rid of redundant furniture. How many side tables do you need? It's unbelievable how a space can transform, how much lighter a space can feel when you have less. And I know that when we're talking about creating more space without adding that addition or without moving, it can be hard because you need storage space and Generally, storage space tends to come in the form of adding in furniture, adding in bookshelves, adding in armoires, adding in credenzas. But that brings me to tip two, which is instead of adding in all the furniture to create the storage, create smarter and more clever storage spaces. Smart and clever storage spaces are vertical. They're hidden. They have labels for easy retrieval. And sometimes they're even built in. Vertical storage goes from ceiling to floor. Vertical storage does not take up a big floor footprint. Vertical storage utilizes stacking as a means to store multiple items. Hidden storage is storage that guests may not see. Hidden storage is Functional, but also aesthetically pleasing. So, a great example for me is in our entryway, we have a bench. It's a seat. So, to the naked eye, it looks like a bench that you sit on when you put your shoes on. But if you open it up, it is the single place where we store all of our family's winter gear. So, it's great because the winter stuff is by the door, which is where it needs to be, but it's hidden, it's out of sight. When we're talking about storage, I always suggest that you label the heck out of your storage systems, whatever it may be. Today in my conversation with Melanie, we are going to talk about storage. But when we talk about labeling, I believe that for most of us, as we are labeling, it's much more beneficial to use broad categories as opposed to narrow ones. So a box labeled gloves is much more accessible for the average person to maintain and use than a box labeled kids mittens, adult gloves, ski gloves, right? So use broad categories as opposed to narrow ones. That's for most of us, not everybody. But for those of us who don't want to spend or don't have the time to spend an awful lot of time maintaining our organization, use broad categories. One other important Consideration too when we talk about creating smart storage is that in some cases, smart storage means investing in some custom carpentry. As I said, furniture is big and bulky. And so perhaps instead of adding in more furniture, we add in some custom built ins, which can be expensive, absolutely, but are much more seamless much less invasive, you might say, than another piece of furniture. So consider whether investing in that custom carpentry is right for your space. I should also say, too, that when I'm talking about creating smarter storage spaces, I suggest you steer clear, if at all possible, steer clear of the off-site storage facilities. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) They're expensive. They're also quite time-consuming. Is it worth hours of your free time on your Saturday to drive to the storage facility to retrieve what you're looking for? That takes a lot of time. How about instead you borrow what you need from a neighbor? I am going to make a bold statement and say that storage facilities in 98% of cases are just delayed decisions. You're going to have to make decisions about all those items someday. So why not, instead of paying that hefty monthly fee to store your stuff in an off-site storage facility, why not, if you can, make those decisions now? So that's tip two. Create smarter storage spaces. Think vertical. Think hidden. Use broad label categories. Tip number three for you is to create spaces with dual functions. Now, this is not a profound tip, right? Those of us who have ever lived in a small space know that we need to create spaces with dual functions if we're going to live harmoniously in the small space. Use one piece of furniture for multiple functions. And if you are in the market to buy furniture or acquire furniture, look for furniture that folds up especially if floor space is tight. So a futon can be a couch or it could be a bed. Even better than a futon, in my opinion, is a Murphy bed, which folds up into the wall. Think tables with extendable leaves. Think armoires that open up into a desk. Think ottomans that have hidden storage inside and you can store your winter blankets. When we're creating spaces with dual functions, You can get expensive. You can invest in a sliding screen. You could even just pay a lot less money and get a standing screen if that works for your space. But I suggest you first consider just using rugs to separate spaces. Using a rug to designate spaces in a single big room can really separate the spaces in a cohesive way. And finally, my fourth tip for you is to hone in on the dead space in your home. If you have a small space, if you feel like living is tight, then you already know that every corner, every nook, every cranny really matters, right? All homes, though, even the small ones, do have a corner or two that's unused. An awkward, empty corner could benefit from a chair and a light, and voila, you've just created a reading nook. Look for dead space in your home, and if you don't think you have any, consider either acquiring the floor plan to your home or drawing it out yourself. Add in the furniture and see where the spaces are that are indeed dead. A lot of times, for example, the space under the stairs is a dead zone. Could you perhaps create an office nook in that area, for example? So, we're going to move into part two of today's conversation. Part two is a conversation with Melanie Noss, small living expert. We're going to talk to Melanie after a quick word from this week's second sponsor. Hello, sustainable minimalists listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven Collection And we are back with Melanie Na. Melanie is a small living expert, a small living coach. She specializes in one-on-one consultations with those of us interested in pushing back against bigger is better living. Melanie, it looks like you are talking to me right now from a small space. Where are you? I am. I am shoved in my closet
1: in the guest bedroom, a.k.a. my office, my recording studio, my uh, gym, my guest bedroom. It's all the things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've been living small for a while now. I know you lived in an Airstream. Tell us, what benefits have you experienced from deliberately and intentionally choosing to live in a small space?
1: Yeah. So like you mentioned, we started our small space journey by living in an Airstream. And if the folks at home have never been in one, it's about 188 square feet. We did that to save money. And so that my husband could quit his job and we could eventually uh, afford a sticks and bricks type home. So at first, small living was a real financial benefit. Uh, We achieved all those things, and we could afford to put a down payment on uh, the small house that we live in now, which is about 800 square feet. I was then able to also quit my traditional job and go into what I do now uh, full time. So other than the financial benefits, it's really opened up my eyes to things like waste, and how small living situations can benefit our planet.
0: You know, I talk a lot about conscious consumerism on this show and putting barriers in place so that you don't buy what you don't need, or that's a double negative. Let's change that around. Let's say so that you only buy what you need. I feel as though in America in 2021, almost 2022, Because our homes are so big and because we can hold stuff and because, by and large, the majority, the vast majority of Americans have disposable incomes to spend on stuff, because we have the space and the money, we just buy it. Have you seen any connection in your life with wanting something but not buying it because you just don't have the space for it?
1: Oh, definitely. I think that... At first, when I went so extreme in the Airstream, that was a real benefit to me that I was seeing that I would think, oh, I have a problem. Let me just buy something to solve that problem. I didn't really always think about it in the long term, like, oh, I'm going to have to eventually store this thing. I lived in the Airstream for four years, and it really became a habit that I thought, oh, well, this thing that I need, do I truly need it? Is it going to benefit my life? I'm going to have to store this. And also, if I eventually don't need to store it, how am I going to get rid of that in a sustainable way? So it really made me think about the whole process of an item and the whole life. How is it going to go from being something that I use to Is it going to be something in the trash?
0: The average American home is about 2,400 square feet. And so I have to ask you, do you ever have any moments where you're like, ugh, I just wish I had more space?
1: Yeah. I mean, I do. I mean, right now I have to, before we uh, recorded this, I told everyone like, get away from this room. You can't go to the bathroom right now. So you better hold it or be prepared. It can be stressful at times, but also I know that it's a balance and that what we get out of it is more than the trouble that it occasionally pops up. People are so sort of normalized by this 2,800 square foot house that they don't realize maybe that they don't use a lot of it. They're only using really the uh, eating area and the living room that they're not using so much of their house. I know people personally that shut off rooms of their house in the winter because their house gets cold and they're heating these rooms that they don't even use.
0: That's crazy. (laughs) I'm envious because prior to having my children and moving to the Burbs, my husband and I lived in an 850 square foot apartment, so similar size to your home. And I didn't realize it at the time, but living small, one of the biggest benefits for me personally was... It took me two hours max, maybe even an hour to clean the place from top to bottom. And now in our four-bedroom house, it takes me hours and hours and hours. It's a daily task to keep up the space. More space generally means more stuff, more time to clean. So I miss that about living smaller. I had a lot more time to enjoy my life. I'm asking you about whether you ever feel like you need more space because In my personal life, I hear all the time from my friends, from fellow moms, from acquaintances, from people I meet at the playground, that they need more space. What would you say as a small living expert to people who think that they need to undergo a renovation or move because they need more space?
1: I would say I hear you, Um, especially in the past two years, I think things have been really tough working from home and educating from home can be a real challenge. Maybe they do need more space. Maybe that's a valid concern. That's why I really like to work with people one on one because there's not always a one size fits all answer, right? But I would say that for many people, minimizing their belongings and fixing those little things that really irk you about your home can also really help that problem as well. I think that as a society, Americans as a whole, North Americans, we really need to throw out our expectations of what a home should look like. I once saw this heat map of how much space that people are actually using in their homes. And it is shockingly low. Almost 70% of the time, families used their kitchen and the space where the TV is. A lot of spaces like the dining room went completely to waste. So then thinking about that, Dead spots in your home, like what are your needs and how can you make those spots into something that is usable for you? So maybe you don't need a dining room. Maybe you need an office and that's okay. And people get really concerned. They're like, well, what if I want to sell my house? You can change it back. You are living in this space right now and you need to give yourself permission to have your home work for you and not the other way around.
0: Yes. You know, my house was built in 1960. And so it has a formal living room. In addition to the, I don't know, the less formal, the informal living room. We do not need a formal living room. I'm not that fancy of an entertainer where we have to sit on the <laughs> fancy couch. We could just go to the den. So I totally hear what you're saying about that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times houses were built for a different time, especially if the house is a little bit older. Another concern I hear all the time, now my kids are younger, I do not have teenagers, but I do hear from my friends with older kids that as kids get older, they want their own hangout space. What if there's just no hangout space currently, and how do you create one? So I think that with teenagers, that's kind
1: of like a a biological need almost, right? They sort of get this thing where they're trying to separate a little bit from their parents and their family. And that's totally fine. And I think that everyone deserves a little spot that they can get away. Again, this is going to depend on these people's specific space. But I've seen folks convert closets into like video game sort of rooms. Maybe they have an old tree fort that they've outgrown. And really, if nothing else, a canopy bed with curtains might feel like a little bit of privacy that they crave and need.
0: I want to talk to you, Melanie, about using a certain space for multiple purposes. And I'm going to set this conversation up, this question up by talking about my dining room. (laughs) I have a dining room. I Love my dining room. I have people over for dinner a lot. I love to entertain. I need the dining room. However, what I don't have and what my husband doesn't have is an office. So when COVID started, he took one end of the dining room table and I took another end of the dining room table. And I don't think this story is unique or special, or I don't think I'm doing anything out of the ordinary. I think a lot of people probably made desks out of their dining rooms during COVID. But I'm wondering, how in your home can you or do you use a single space for multiple purposes? In the past two years, i really had to
1: reevaluate my needs and think about what I needed this room for. If I'm being completely honest, I don't love having a treadmill in my guest bedroom slash office, but it's there because... Still have these fears around going to the gym and germs and things like that, but I think that sometimes we do need to set aside like what we think a house is supposed to look like and just accept it for what our needs truly are. in your case and in a lot of people's cases, office problems right now are probably the main thing that I get asked about. We need to think about maybe clever solutions that Will help you sort of put things away when it comes time from you're switching from the office to maybe you are doing a little bit of entertaining and you don't necessarily want uh, your guests to see the behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> you don't want them to necessarily see your messy office. So, what can we do? What clever uh, tips and tricks can we employ to make this a better space? For
0: you, Yes, and that speaks to me because, yes, certainly every time I have somebody come over, I am picking up the dining room table, I am putting away my laptop, I am putting away my notes. But I would say that putting, picking up my laptop and putting away my notes and making it look like a dining room again, I would say that that's way easier than undergoing an addition on my house. So that, you know, works for me personally. My final question for you then is making a space, a small space perhaps, but maybe even an oversized space. Like making the space cohesive. I know in smaller spaces, you have to be much more intentional about everything you add to your space. So it's not a jumbled mess. So talk to me about how listeners who are living in a small space, they're not interested in adding that addition, they're not interested in upgrading to a bigger home, how can they make their existing space which may feel tight, more cohesive. So
1: thinking about the decor of your space with a really strong point of view can help a lot. For me, I save a lot of images on Pinterest and Instagram until I get an idea of what I want. And then I narrow it down pretty ruthlessly. Then after that step, if it doesn't fit my style, I do not buy it just as a rule, I'll even like be in the store and I'll look at my Pinterest board or uh, where I've saved it on Instagram. And I'll be like, does this really fit my style? Color can also really help with this. So if you choose a fairly limited color scheme, sometimes that can help your space feel cohesive as well.
0: Hmm. Let me preface this by saying I know nothing about design. (laughs) So this might be overly simplistic, but what I hear you saying is like, choose a style you like and go with it throughout the whole space. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I
1: think that especially for a small space that works really well because you can always take things from other rooms as you need them and uh shop your house. I do that a lot. Like I'll take, you know, pillows from the couch and move them onto the bed to make my space look different when I'm getting that sort of itch like, oh, I need I need something different or new. But by choosing that really tight cohesive point of view, it can really help to make your space look like it is one cohesive uh, space instead of being such a eclectic. (laughs) You say, Oh, I have an eclectic style. Well, okay. But what does that really mean? Because when you say, Eclectic, it's one of the hardest styles to actually pull off. Like people want their house to maybe look like anthropology or, you know, something like that. But that is truly really difficult to pull off. So, what can you look at on your Pinterest boards, on your inspirational images, and narrow your style down to? Yeah,
0: I think I inadvertently have an eclectic style just because I like contemporary, but then I like farmhouse. (laughs) So I have some work to do with regard to cohesiveness in my own home. Please tell my listeners where they can find more of you and your expertise online.
1: Sure. Uh, you can find me on my blog, a smalllife.com. I am a small life on Instagram and on TikTok. And if you are interested in having a consultation with me and talking more with me, uh, my email is Melanie at asmalllife.com.
0: Well, thank you so much for this conversation. You've really inspired me personally to think twice, think three times, think four times perhaps about the conventional wisdom, which is bigger is best. So, thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed all of the things we discussed in this week's episode. I've linked to Melanie and anything else you may need in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 237. Now, we do have an ego tip this week, and it comes from Kim. Kim listened to episode 233 just two weeks ago, which was the rapid-fire questions episode. I answered 5.5 of you, the listener's questions, and she wanted to reach out with some thoughts on the pill bottle repurposing, recycling question. Kim said that the Humane Society in her hometown accepts those pill bottles and uses them for animal medication. She also wanted me to mention that one of the pharmacy colleges in her town also accepts these pill bottles for student practice. Perhaps one of these ideas will help any of you struggling with the influx of pill bottles. Listeners, I'm taking Thursday off, spending some time with my family, but I will be back on Tuesday with your regularly scheduled interview. We are talking about just enough living. I will see you then. Have an amazing new year. Thankful for every single one of you. Best wishes for a healthy, happy, joyful 2022. See you then.